We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome along to the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Alex Hurston, Norman Riley with you today, as always. And we've got special guest, Joe Kil- Chilcott from Tune for Chain. Sorry, I bollocks up your name there. It's, it's <laughs> no I'm, ner- I'm nervous. Um, Morning, mate. So, Morning, pleasure Alex. to have you along. Great. How are you doing? Pleasure. Yep, yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. Um, yeah, I didn't go out too, too late last night. So, I'm in okay frame of mind to come on here. Yeah, yeah professional. <laughs> we love it. And uh, we're going to talk to Joe, obviously, about the game. And we're going to get into all that. Newcastle United's tremendously shit house 1 0 win. <laughs> against Chelsea last night and then we're going to get into uh, the reason why Joe's here is to speak to you the listener about Tune for Change the group that uh, formed in the summer and I'll not go into too much now because Joe will be able to explain it far better than I and Joe I mean you watched the game yesterday didn't you uh, yeah. tell, tell the listeners how you how you took in the game and how was it for you well I w- watched the game the strawberry and yeah well the first half obviously it was pitch black because the light there's probably seems problem with the lighting, but came right. back on okay <laughs> in the second second half. But uh, gen- generally, I th- it was nothing that we haven't seen all season. Really, the opposition had a lot of the ball. We just we dropped in deep, trying trying to hit them on the counter. Saint Maximum coming back helped helped us a lot going forward. But I think, but obviously for all their possession. Chelsea didn't only had like half chances, and we def- thought defended well. I think Lascelles big big miss. Yeah, I think we miss him more than we could, more than we even think. I don't what while he's out. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and Norman, I know you watched the game on on TV as well. And I mean, first of all, it has to be said before we get into a probably massive massive win for Newcastle that we talked on the preview last week for patrons about how this is a massive week for Newcastle. We had two really tough games in Chelsea and Everton. Massive game in the context of Mike Ashley's ownership with Oxford at home next Saturday, and what a way! What a way to start that week with three points after winning against Rochdale, getting a point at Wolves. You know, looking back at the absolute horror show, and it will be a horror show remembered for many years against Leicester with ten men for for large part of the second half. And you looked at the fixtures coming up after that game, and you were like, you know, kill me. And we've taken four points from the next two games, and and that's absolutely massive. And I've just got nothing but admiration and respect for a player like Isaac Hayden, signed for two million quid in the championship, signed probably for the second division. You know, he 
he has his personal issues, he has problems with his family, he has problems with his young child, he sticks at it at Newcastle United, uh, he's played out of position quite regularly this season, he's told to go in at right, right back yesterday because Kraft's having a bit of a mare which everyone saw coming, and then he pops up in the 94th minute with a with a winning goal that just sent the, the whole stadium into absolute meltdown, it was just, you know, there was I was in the corner and there was just, it was one of those where there's people on the floor, you know, there, there, there's people hugging me I've never seen in my life before, and it was one of those moments, and it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a privilege to be there in that respect, and totally at odds with the vast majority of the ninety-three minutes or whatever we saw before, where I was doing the match day podcast for parents, and I was having to apologise, basically saying, "I'm sorry, I've, I've had no updates for you because literally nothing's happened apart from Chelsea have had the ball." Norman, um, one of the first things you wanted to talk about is what George just touched on there, and that was the importance of Jamal Lascelles. Um, you know, yesterday, and, and as Joe correctly said, we've, we've missed him massively. And I think he's a player who, despite the relative riches that we have in that part of the squad at centre back, we have noticed him much more since he's been gone. Norman, would you say that's fair? And what were your thoughts on his performance yesterday? I think that's very fair. I mean, he's come back from quite a, a long spell out, and he's immediately looked incredibly fit, which is obviously testament to his athleticism and his. The work that he's, he's obviously put in um, when he's been recuperating from that injury. And I think before the match kicked off yesterday, I looked at the back three and I thought, we've got the three, you know, what you'd call traditional centre-halves in there. Um, obviously, other than Fede Fernandez's we had ability to put in outrageous crosses. Um, but I thought without Lejeune or Shea, for me, that's, uh, that's always problematic. I always think, well, we ought to have one of those in because I love to see a ball playing centre-half in the side. But obviously... When you've got Shelby come back in the side, it's not as necessary as it might be. And to be honest with you, um, Bruce got it absolutely right playing those three centre halves. And what Lascelles brings clearly, and you know, I've never really appreciated this um, until he's had this long spell out injured and just come back. It's it's that leadership and that organisation. It's funny when you watch him on the pitch; it doesn't look to me like he does a lot of shouting, but I guess he does a lot of talking, and that's what's important. He's obviously just having words with players all the time, and I guess as well. He may well inspire those players around him um, because I thought Fernandez, but in particular Clark yesterday was absolutely superb, and I think you could probably put that down to the fact that Lascelles is there in the middle of them, just basically you know comment on where that where that positioned, tell them to get back, tell them who to mark, tell them what space to take care of, and and it was huge. And um, the three of them together as a unit yesterday were just, I mean they were absolutely impeccable. They were really impeccable, and even the couple of times that Chelsea managed to squeeze through, obviously Dubravka was was equal to it, and. I suppose as well, what you could say about the cells is, I guess, there's probably an influence on Dubravka of having that kind of lead in front of him. It probably gives him that little bit more confidence. Um, so I, a really, real welcome return and the ideal kind of player um, in a game like that and when we're playing that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of football in that system. Totally agree with all of that. And... One of the things I think we missed for, about Lascelles was, was purely his height as well. Well, when it has been the likes of you know Fernandez, Cher, Lejeune, or Clark, or whoever it's been, and you know they they have done a great job. I think just having someone on set pieces like Lascelles organisationally, having his leadership, but also his height. You know, I think we played when we played against Southampton, Danny Ings won every single header that day. Whereas someone like Lascelles is always going to stop that happening. And, and to be fair, Abraham had a really difficult day yesterday. Obviously, had that like audacious. Back heel, I hit the bar, but he was offside, so it didn't matter. But apart from that, and he had one that was cleared off the line by Richie, I thought Lascelles marshalled him really, really well. And uh, yeah, it's great to have him back. And to me, he's one of the first names in the team sheet. I think he is the one defender that, that definitely, 
definitely starts. You you raise a good point there, Norman, though, because you mentioned Fernandez's ball for um, Joe Linton to hit the bar. Best crosses at the club for me, Andy Carroll, Fernandez, and Fabian Scher. Andy Carroll good at crosses. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean remember that cross for Shelby against yeah. Southampton? That was mental. Same as Shearer, though, isn't it? Where yeah. he he probably yeah. knows what he wants yeah. on a cross, mm-hmm. so yeah. he's willing, no, you know, he, able to do it. That's true. But then you've got um, obviously Saint Maximin now has to be considered in those great crosses because it was it was some ball for the for the goal. I mean, yeah, I mean almost undefendable. I mean, I mean we seem to have three players in the six yard box unmarked, but that's you know up to Chelsea. Can I can I can I interrupt quickly there? You mentioned Isaac here before. Yeah, I don't know if we're talking about him, but um, just to quickly say that what um, what Hayden is is he's one of those players that like every squad really could do with in the in the sense that he's just. His utility is so incredibly useful there. The fact that he can play in multiple positions. And you think back, I think when Bruce had him in Hull, I think Bruce played him as a right back. Um, and I've seen him now as a right wing back twice against Wolves and obviously in the latter stages of the match yesterday against um, Chelsea. And because of his athleticism, he's actually quite a useful player to have for that position. Um, Long term, would he be effective? I don't know. But um, he certainly, you know, he certainly looks looks at home in in that position. And um, I think, uh, obviously, again, you know what? I'm not massive on complimenting Bruce, but when he deserves a compliment, you know, like you get one. And that was for me putting Hayden in that position, even though he took a massive risk, given that Hayden had already had a yellow card. Um, I think, you know, that was a that was a really good decision to make. Yeah, and I suppose that that's something that you wanted to touch on, Norman. But I'll come to Joe first. You know. We are now two points off Spurs. I mean, we're, we're only in 12th place, actually, so we're not miles up the league because no. it's so tight. It, it's been a volatile league all season. Yeah. I mean, if you mean, a couple of good results and you're back in the top half, but a couple of bad results and you're back, you're back in the thick of it at the bottom. Yeah, so, you know, we've got... I keep saying this kind of cup run, we've got to get past Oxford. Yeah. It would be so like Newcastle United to go win at Everton on Tuesday and then lose to Oxford. Or, or draw and lose the replay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, on the manager, it it seems to be this constant evolving thing. And some weeks were were terrible, and some weeks were terrible, but we we'll win. Um, where where are you with him now, Joe? Like in terms of the job Steve Bruce is doing? Yeah, well, obviously, in obviously in the summer, I think I think he typified. I mean, when he when he got appointed, I mean, obviously replacing Rafa, I mean, it 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 did typify. It did. People do see it. We'll see it as a lack of ambition in a way. People probably do see it, but that being said, football's a results business, and the the job he's done so far, he's done he's done a great job results wise. It's, it's much better than we all expected, but I think it's just whether it's sustainable, whether all of this is sustainable in the long term. That that's that's another question altogether. But but for now, he, he's getting the results, and I think whatever. Whatever people's opinions of him, whether you were willing to give him a chance or not, I think I think a lot of us need at least need to acknowledge that he is not the problem. We all know who is, and he's been a constant problem for the last twelve, thirteen years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's totally fair enough. And Norman, you were you were keen to kind of point out as someone like you say, like myself, and maybe like Joe has been. We, we were hugely critical of the appointment of Bruce, and have been critical of him at various points. And I think it was a. He was on one of the Sky programs over the weekend, and he himself said he thought it was a joke by his agents when he said Newcastle United was interested. So that kind of fed into to much of the disbelief in the summer when a lot of fans were just like, "You've you've got to be kidding me!" But 
Norman, you're keen to make the point that if that had been the previous manager yesterday, you would be waxing lyrical, so you want to give him credit. Is that the case? I would, I, because um, one of the many things that I uh, loved about Rafa was that, you know, he got a tune out of the air, you know, the instruments that he had. And um, the fact that under Rafa, we, up until sort of the signing of Almiron, basically in, in February, uh, late January, February last year, we, we played a very pragmatic game, which was sit deep, let them dominate possession, limit our chances, you know, limit them to kind of 35, 40 yard shots because they, can, they can't break with down. Men in, men in the box, um, closing down space and then kind of hitting them with, um, you know, pacey players or with the kind of technique and um, ability of people like Perez and Rondon. And, and I loved it. I loved it because it, it felt like a kind of backs against the wall sort of football. And when we won, it was great. And all credit was given to, to Rafa for how we set them up. And the reality is, yesterday, um, that's what we did. Now, I look because Chelsea dominated in the sense that, you know, they dominated the possession. Well, clear-cut chances that they had very, they had very few. Um, there were stages yesterday where we had nine players in the box and they just couldn't work through. And then we got a winner. So uh, praise, uh, of course, he deserves praise. Um, and you know, you look at Chelsea's away record this season. I think it's only second to um, Leicester. Sorry, second to uh, third, third to Liverpool and um, Leicester. So they're a good away side. So even getting a nil draw against them wouldn't have been a bad result. But the fact that we've won, you have to give them credit. And look, um, in line with what Joe said there. Do I want to see Steve Bruce as a, the long-term manager at Newcastle? Not really, because I don't think, and you know, all greatest respect, based on his career record, he's the man to, to take the club where me as a fan would like to see us grow. Um, per, on a personal level, I want to see you know investment in youth and youth academy, and I want to see us do something like you know like Arsenal have done in an appointing a young manager who may well be able to establish a legacy and change the club kind of root and branch on the playing side, but. Whilst it's Newcastle United under Mike Ashley, and whilst the only um, object is survival, then at the moment, you have to say that Steve Bruce is the person who looks like he could keep us up this season. The big, I suppose, the big issue will be, you know, where we go next season. And if you look at Bruce's previous record and at clubs, second and third season has always been a little bit wobbly, so that may be concerned. But as it is right now, as a club that's only objective is to stay in the league, then Steve Bruce is doing that, so I can't be angry with him on an individual level. Of course, I can't. Yeah, that's similar to what Joe was just saying there before. I mean, it is interesting about where Bruce can take us and where he thinks he can take us because, like I said now, although we're in 12th place, I think 29 points after 23 games normally would have you a bit higher in the league than 12th, but because it's so tight and because the top sides, bar Liverpool, have dropped so many points to other sides in the league, Man City again yesterday against Palace, great example, it has us in that kind of, you know, Sheffield United are up there on 33 points, four points clear of us, but you you don't think it's outside the realms of possibility that we would finish higher than Sheffield United this season. We've got to play them at home still. We'll have some very winnable home games coming up. I think the next two home games are Norwich and Burnley, which, you know, again, it's us, so anything could happen, but you'd like to think we've got a good chance there. I think another thing Bruce deserves credit for is reverting back to a system that the players know best. When he, at the start of the season, he could quite easily have just persisted with the, the attack, this expansive attack in football, him and Charlie were mentioning about in the summer, and it, quite frankly, it failed miserably. But I think, obviously, for the time being, with this group of players, that, I think that's the way to go. As I said on, as I said last night on the Magpie Channel, that you know this is the group of players we've got. You know, they're making the fans proud. Uh, I think, and you know, they kind of remind remind us of when when like Nolan. 
Barton, Andy Carroll the first time were here. And pro- and my concern is once that core group of players go, I just fear for the direction long term after that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And back to me point about where where we can finish. And I know you're right, Norman, in looking ahead, but just this season, if you were to freeze us now, 29 points in 23 games, it's January, we're still in the FA Cup. What an opportunity they've got to really have a fantastic season. And this is where I, I fear a little bit that I think I think a lot of fans, and, and I have to include myself in that, hugely critical. I don't think I said we'd get relegated, but I thought we'd be right in the thick of it. And you had like Sai, who does the podcast, saying we wouldn't win a game. And obviously, that's been disproved yeah, quite, quite he's emphatically. Not, he's not, con- I don't don't think he's Kinnear level. I think no. he's proven that. No, no, he's, pr- he's, he's, he's proven, not. you know, there are Premier League managers who's been sacked this season. There are Premier League managers be- below him right now. Gracia. Yep, who would love to swap Torres. positions with Steve Bruce or achieve the results that Steve yeah. Bruce has got. So he's proved himself that he can operate in the Premier League. And I just think if you're him now, I would be banging on Lee Charlie's door or writing him an email or ringing him or however they communicate, you know, writing a letter in the post, probably we actually does it. I'll, I'll only accept, you know, <laughs> players by handwritten posts and then we'll try and sign a player to slow things down. But I, I would be saying to him, let's sign two quality first-team players at least and let's go and get 50, 55 points a season, which is a big ask. But if you've got yourself in this position after 23 games and there's maths here, 15 games left, if you can go and get another 15, 20 points from those 15 games, which isn't, you know, I mean, 15 points would, would be, you know, get rid of what, 44 points, what the same as last season, I think, or one more than last season. But that would be a point, again, that's relegation form. If we can get to 50 points, that's a top 10 finish normally. And there's top 10 finish, there's a cup run possibility. What I don't want to see is this kind of fade away. And then at the end of the season, we sat here talking to you people here saying, I would have kept up. So that's positive. I, I don't think now, I think now he has managed to prove that the team are capable of winning games in the Premier League, particularly at home, and that we can look, we shouldn't be looking down. And that's as a fan, as a Newcastle fan of the past 12 years, that's what you do. You think, all oh, right, okay, well, Burnley are playing today, so I hope they get beat. Or Villa, when are they next playing? Who have they got? Are they going to, you know, are they, are they only six points off? Well, now we, sh- we should be now with this team and this squad and this ability to win games like we are looking up. Will that happen? Because if they don't sign anyone, Everyone gets annoyed again. It's the same old January as usual. And even when we have had good Januarys, the last two seasons, it's been deadline day. And you got the feeling that the previous manager pushed those signings through, the likes of Dubravka, Kennedy, Almiron. Crucial signings as it was for the season, you know, in terms of keeping up those two seasons. So what has happened with yesterday's result is it's a massive opportunity now to kick on, I think, and, and look to the top half. If we spend the rest of the season in and around kind of 14th, 15th, 16th or below, then it's it's just another same old season. Unfortunately, I, I think that's the concern. That's the big. I think that's the main concern people have with Bruce. Will he push? You know, will, it, will he push Ashley and Code to like the same degree that the yeah, like the previous manager did? But and obviously that there's doubts. And obviously, my question would be: Does Bruce fully know who he's working with? Because he's you know he's insistent. Like Ashley's been very supportive of him and whatnot. And I understand. I understand completely that. Wants to try and get in Ashley's good books, but then again, Alan Pardew dedicated a win to Ashley once and that didn't really get anywhere. But, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully he he will he will chat because I I think he wants the club to move forward. Just think that's that that in the long term that's going to be a problem with him and those upstairs. Yeah, yeah, and, and just say everything I said there comes true, and if it does, brilliant. We we'll finish top ten. We will have a cup run. 
then that adds more pressure on next season because you've got to not just repeat it but do better. And like Norman said, he's got his doubts whether that's realistic or not. So time will tell. As always, this is football. Results dictate, like you said before, uh, Joe. Um, Norman, yesterday again, I mean, probably the only thorn in Chelsea's side for a lot of the game apart from the defensive wall in which they encountered was Miguel Almiron. And I know you want to talk about him in, in his performance yesterday. He was outstanding yesterday from minutes. Um, he's been fantastic lately, but I think what what's happened with Almiron is I don't think that his performances have necessarily dropped as much as you know people were perhaps uh, seeing earlier on in the season. Uh, and ever, you know, undoubtedly, you know, he wasn't at the kind of high levels that he was towards the end of last season. Um, where you know when he signed him, when he had that brilliant kind of rapport immediately with um, Rondon and Perez. <clears throat> and obviously a new manager coming in, you know, a new, new slightly new system, new tactics, new tra- new training, um, training ground tactics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was always going to be a little bit more more difficult for him, but he's never shirked. His endeavours never gone down. His, his movements never, um, you know, kind of gotten worse. He's he's always been good. I think what's happened is there was so much mention, um, social media, press. He hasn't got an assist. He hasn't got a goal. Um, and now that he's he's got the he got the assist against Man City, he's got the goals. Now that that's no longer a thing, I think what's happening is people aren't focusing on them. So what they're doing is they're just seeing Miguel Almiron the player. So even yesterday, you know, he didn't score yesterday, he didn't assist uh, yesterday. But it doesn't matter because people actually saw what he's doing. The the kind of monkey off the back thing of the goals and the assist is gone, and you can really appreciate what a what an absolutely fantastic player he is. And um, also again, you know, credit to Bruce, he's got him playing in a position that is working for him and. His confidence levels are high, and I don't think it's wrong to say now that he is—he is at the moment—he is our best player, and he has been for some time, to be honest. Joe, yeah, well, yep, of course. I think you could see his confidence has gone up a notch after after bagging his first goal. I mean, was it four goals in eight now? Yeah, I think. I think even when he he wasn't scoring, you could see you could see he was still trying. He he hasn't given up. He never gave up. I think I think generally that's that's why. I've, I mean, it's the old saying goes: we don't demand a, a club that wins. We demand a club that we demand a club that tries. And obviously, Miguel Almiron, I think, epitomizes that. I yeah, I totally agree. And. I think if he maintains his current form, which I, you know, I don't think he won't. I don't think he'll drop oh, off. No. I don't think he's playing above himself. I think this is the real no, him. This is, this is. I think this has been his level on a consistent basis. I reckon. Yeah, I think that we're, even if it's correct that we we'll paid twenty-one million pounds for him, just a bit like Sir Maximum on the other side, that's a bargain. We've got ourselves yeah, a bargain here for, for a player who's oh, that, hundred, hundred, especially good. in today's markets. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I suppose you, you've you've touched on it there about the you know all we demand is a team that tries. We've we've definitely got that, and it's I know I'm going back a long way here, but it's the same opposition Chelsea. And in 2016, we played Chelsea Stamford Bridge, and we, we lost five one. That was awful. And we're four 0 down in 20 minutes, and, and Orlando Arons was playing left back, wasn't yeah. he? And I mean, Colaccini was just standing there. Terrible. It, 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 I mean, it, there was no, it was like no leadership. McLaren was slumped in the dugouts. No, he so looked it, like a man on his having his last days at the club. Yeah, I mean it's nearly four years since that, but it does it does feel. And I mean Jamal Lascelles was in the squad that day, so like it it does feel that somehow the, the DNA of the at least the playing squad and the first team, if not the whole football club, but the, definitely that part of it, 
has just somehow changed for the for the better. And Norman, I know me and you talked about this quite a lot. Like, how do you think? And and again, you might say it's the previous manager, but Bruce continues as well. Is it just we've gone on gone out and bought good lads? Lads, who cares? It's something bigger than that. Norman, do you feel like how how have we, how is the culture of Newcastle United on the on the pitch at least in terms of just all out endeavour, passion, running, not letting your heads go down when you go behind, not throwing games, not players, you know, just not being asked to track back on a run. How how do you think the DNA of the first team has changed, Norman? I think, um, you know, I will have to mention the previous manager, Rafa Benitez, brought in the right characters from from day one. Um, He brought in the right characters from the championship. The nucleus of our championship squad is still together. So whatever friendships and team spirit were forged during that that season, that's still there. Um, And obviously, what you've got when you've got a, you know, we we had Rafa, the fans took to him immediately. So for the first time in years and years and years, um, even when Pardew finished fifth, the relationship that Pardew had when he finished fifth with Newcastle fans was nothing like the relationship that Rafa established in the course of 10 games in the relegation season. Um, so you, you've got this, this rabble between fans and manager. The manager brings in players. The, the fans trust the manager. The players then kind of buzz off the rapport that the, uh, the, fans, are, the fans are showing. And this is just, it's just all just kind of self-reinforcing. And I think a lot of, a lot of us as fans in the last few years, we've We've kind of grown with these particular players. You know, there are players who've been there for three, four years now. And obviously, you've got the new signings coming in. And the, the signings that Rafa made um, last summer, sorry, the start of uh, 1819, Fabian Shea, um, bringing in Ron Don, bringing Army Ron. Previous summer, um, Mankio, you, you could say, uh, Lejeune. These are players who obviously, you know, that, that characters have been assessed and they've been scouted properly. And once you've got... Once you've got those kind of players in the squad, obviously they've clearly build friendships with each other quickly as well because none of them, they in that squad, know that the other one's taking the piss. Um, you know, let's say for example Matt Ritchie and Jamal Lascelles. If there were players in the squad um, who, let's say, weren't pulling the weight, weren't tracking back, you know, I think that there are a few players from that relegation season we could name. Um, you'd have players like Ritchie and Lascelles now just saying what you're doing, and that, that happened. Obviously, that obviously that happened with Lascelles, didn't it? When he walked into the dressing room after the Everton match and said no one cares. Um, and I, there isn't anyone in that squad now who I think um, who I think we can question the, the, the motivation, and that is down to, you know, as I say, Rafa, players, fans, developing this relationship, and then what Steve Bruce has done. And this, you know, again, I'm, I'm complimenting him yeah, because players like it's obvious that the players like him. You can see it in how they respond to him when you know when they're on the touchline, when there's a goal scored, when they're going off the pitch, and and that's a really good thing. So as long as I think as long as that that spirit is is kept in the squad, then we'll always have a fighting chance, regardless of you know, the ability of other teams around us. Um, so in terms of any kind of potential relegation battle, um, that we have got a squad that is is fit and capable of of, uh, of winning it, whereas, you know, three seasons ago when McLaren was absolutely awful and, and ultimately McLaren, he had no say so in the signings, whereas Rafa did. So you can't, I can't comment on, on the players that, that McLaren brought in. I think I think possibly McLaren had had some say so in Shelby and um, in Townsend. Well, I, I think both of those players are, are quite committed um, and before that, we had John Carver and Alan Pardew, and they just didn't have any any kind of impact on who we signed at all. So there you go. It's a it's a mixture of things, but things. But there is this there is this self reinforcement between fans, player, and manager, and um, and it's a really good a really good thing. I'm just thinking, did we even make any signings under Carver? Can't, can't no, we didn't. Any of the we didn't sign no. anyone that January. No, um, I didn't think so. God knows who we he'd have signed anyway if it was uh, up to him. But the yeah, I think I suppose. One thing we'll have to say about this team is they do they do make you proud in that respect, and 
like I said there, regardless of the game situation, I think there's only really Leicester away in Villa this season. Maybe Norwich as well. Yeah, no, no, I was, at, I was at, yeah, that was awful. Awful, yeah. And it, you know, brought early fears that this, you know, that we would be in big, big trouble. But, but thankfully that hasn't, that hasn't happened so far. Yeah. Hasn't happened so far. And I think there were, you know, at, Worst, there'll be there will be three sides worse than us. Cause Bournemouth are dropping like a stone. I think Norwich are doomed. Yeah, I think Villa will go down. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the flip side isn't, and I have to say it. And this is a positive podcast because we've won and we've, it was brilliant. You know, it isn't fun. It isn't. You know, like I said yesterday, if, if we hadn't scored that goal, I would have been happy with the point. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I think a point against Chelsea at home is is more than reasonable in the, with the state and the club that we are in twenty twenty. Unfortunately. But we won and that was great. It's not fun to watch particularly. Even even games like Sheffield United where we went and won or Southampton where we won at home. We undoubtedly... I mean, it, we, we, the Brafka essentially yeah. saved us both those days. I mean, by, if, let's be honest, by the time we did score the first goal, Sheffield United could easily have been 2 yeah. or 3 nil up. Southampton, I think you can understand why Hassan Huttle felt aggrieved, why, why they didn't win that game. Because... Up until Carroll came on, they yeah. they were they were all over us. Yeah, so it, it it it's not the prettiest, and there is a point in the future. There is a point at at some point in Newcastle United's future, we are going to have to stop being a team that just plays without the ball. We are. It's not sustainable. Especially, long-term. especially as I've said, if this once this core group of players gradually start leaving, mm. so what we, happens after that? We are going to have to progress, and that that's going to be Steve Bruce's major challenge. I mean. You could say just say we'll get something at Everton and then we'll beat Norwich and then you know you know it all goes great and you might lose at Arsenal but you might get something because they're not yeah. unbeatable and 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 we do get to the magical forty points say by the end of February early March I think there's a big question there for Bruce is it more of the same until the end of the season or does he does he try and think well today lads we're going to play four at the back we we'll play four midfielders and we're actually going to have some of the ball that's going to be the the big question for him but for, for now I, I totally understand and I totally back it and I know. You know, people going to Everton will probably be quite happy to see the same setup and the same formation to try and get some points. But there is a point where, and I suppose it goes for like the whole outlook of the club. We are going to have to be like right this season, we should finish top ten, or or we'll be stuck in this cycle. And if you spend enough time at the bottom of the league, as some improved, as we proved, and as like Stoke and West Brom, yeah. they stood still. That they've yeah. they've proven that as well. If you you know if you stand still, there's only one way you're going to go. Yeah. So, so they are the big questions for the future. But for now, brilliant win yesterday. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're going to move on very soon to the tune for chain stuff. But there's one, one, more, a couple more players we'll have to talk about. First of all, Jetro Willems looks like he's out for the season. Massive blow. Is it the last time we see him ever? Because he's he's only on loan. So it, 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 I mean, from what I saw on the telly, it, 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 I mean, his, I think his leg just turned. Really took a bad turn. And, you know, he's just screaming to the bench right away. You just know it wasn't going to be good at all. Yeah, I think they're saying a crucial injury, so that's definitely yeah. the season. Because he's on loan, we'll sign him. Um, and he's been he has, he's had a really good good impact this no, he's, season. He's been solid and, you know, and now left-backs obviously now on, kind of new left-backs probably now on the agenda, no yeah. no doubt. You know, if we, we have a left, you know, if we have someone like Willems on left-back and right-back, I think we're near enough all set. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a massive shame and, and we hope he gets well soon. Norman, Joe Linton, 
you know, much talked about, especially by us. Everyone talks about Joe Linton, the £40 million man. Did you see any positive signs yesterday, mate, from his uh, from his confidence being better after the goal against the mighty Rochdale? First, the first half, definitely. Um, he, his movement was better. Uh, obviously, you know, there is the argument that apparently, apparently he was carrying um, a minor groin strain against Wolves, but the fact that he played against Rochdale a few days later suggests that was a bit misplaced, perhaps. Um but his, his movement was better. His confidence looked better. He wasn't running with his, He wasn't kind of moving around the pitch with his head down. He just looking annoyed constantly. Um, he did look a bit more confident. Um, I think. I think obviously having Maximan on the side may well have impacted on that because you know when Maximan was, was playing, Joe Linton didn't look as bad as he has done for the sort of past I would say five or six weeks. Um, and you know if that if that chance had gone in again, that would have lifted his confidence massively, and it would have it would have had a huge impact on how. I suppose how the fans react to him, and um, it would have kind of built a bit more confidence in him. But um, he, he looked, he looked better. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't fantastic. But ultimately, he didn't really have much to work with, did he? Uh, given that you know Chelsea had seventy percent of the possession, and pretty much the ball was in our half for about ninety percent of the match. Um, he, yeah, you know, there was there were encouraging signs there, but I'm not going to get too excited. Um, you know, he had a great chance at the end that he that he fluffed, you could say. So there's a lot of work to be done, but you know what? Let's not um, be too negative. This is an improvement, so let's just hope that it continues. I think the one thing I liked about him is that he used his height more, especially with that header that hit the bar. I think that, I think that, that was that was a big that was a concern that was a big concern as well. You know, for someone of his height, he seemed you know seemed weak trying to trap the ball getting on the ball but I think yeah as as Norman said before it, it has his you know this is an improvement on what we've seen even a month ago yeah I, th- I think I think he didn't choose the price tag that was put on him that that goes to the people who won saw who have watched him numerous times and two were willing to pay the price but I think all in all, I think we know he's not going to be a goal. He's not a goal scorer. I think, I personally, I think he's either more more suited on the left or like behind the striker, like he probably was at Hoffenheim. Yeah, for me, it was really positive yesterday that he he made a positive influence in the game. How did he do that? Well, the corner, which we got our winning goal, he played it off the player. It, it doesn't sound like much, but it should be good for his confidence that he comes off that pitch and. I had a hand in us winning that game. And one of the things which we haven't seen this season from the Premier League is he hasn't been missing chances because he hasn't been getting chances. And I, I don't count that. Way as a, as, I mean, he, it was a brilliant header to get to get up and down, like you said, to jump so high and get the header on target. Keeper had no chance. If that was an inch lower, that's in the back of the net. So if you can get him chances and you can at least, you know, either work the keeper, score or hit the crossbar, he'll be all right this season if we do start to create more chances. So it's, it's a positive for me. It wasn't a you know, 9 out of 10 performance, no. but that was a, a step in the right direction. And you, you imagine with Carroll being injured um, that he'll get yeah. he'll get a chance on Tuesday because again. He, 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 seemed, he seemed... Carroll sounded fine when he came on on Tuesday, yeah. but that, that's... But I guess that is, we, all, we knew what what we were up doing when we, were, when we signed him. That's why he's on a pay-as-you-play deal at the minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whether whether they'll look to tie him down to a longer term deal, that's that's another thing. But I hope so because I think when he has played, he has been that 
presence. He, he has been that good vocal point, even though I think, like Joe Linton, he's been isolated a lot of the time. Well, I noticed what Carol yesterday from the highlights were that he was sat with Tony Justin Bonds yesterday. I don't think most first team players get that kind of invite to the uh, to the top brass. So, yeah, he was wearing a wearing a Peaky Blinders cap as well, Andy <laughs> Carroll. But uh, I think that just about does it then for analysis of the Chelsea game. Great win for Newcastle. Uh, it was felt a great feeling walking out the ground. The atmosphere at the end was absolutely bouncing. And yeah, on to Everton. Um, this week we'll have, of course, like every week, several podcasts for you on our Patreon platform. It's about £7 a month for about 30 extra Newcastle United podcasts. A few hundred fans have already signed up. Uh, get involved if if that's your thing and you like this podcast. Uh, we have the Chelsea Chelsea Everton preview coming up tomorrow. Norman's doing that. And then we'll have Charlotte. She's at Goodison Park on behalf of True Faith in the away and recording the Match Day podcast. Uh, and then, we'll, of course, we'll have the full build-up to the Oxford game. So... Check out the link in uh, in this podcast description. Give it a go if you haven't already. And yes, I think we'll move on now uh, to Joe to talk about the group that you, I don't know, I'll let you dissuade, yeah. either founded or part of Tune for Change. Why yes. don't you just start off by telling the listeners what Tune for Change are? Okay, um, so Tune for Change were a group that formed in the summer and the, basically the main, main aim of the group is to to pressure pressure Mike Ashley into finding a new finding a finding a buyer who 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 would be willing to take the club forwards, um, we've we've had nine hundred and eighty members for free sign up, and like yeah 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 yeah, yeah no that's that, that's very interesting so yeah. in terms and, of- and and there's four and as for founding members um that there's there's four of us and with either former season ticket holders or just go to away games away games only so was this 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 came out probably after the departure of Rafa Benitez yes. am I correct yes so, of course so Tune for Change obviously started what what would you say is the, why was there a need for you or like what was your idea behind starting yes. Tune for Change that was going to be different yeah. for example to someone like the Magpie group at Ashley Out because I assume you know all have the same objectives I think well I didn't join the group until October time but I'll oh, I'll, right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go I'll go into that a bit later but I think the group was initially called Empty for Ashley obviously it was the obviously it was the sole aim of keeping St James's Park empty but I think over time think it obviously boy, the boy boycotting has been we as we know a divisive subject and and it, and it continues to be it continues to be that way so just thinking of initiatives like like our year of ambition blue and maroon scarves so any newcastle fan whether they go to the match or don't go to the match where, where they are in the world in miami or in dublin they, you know, they they can all take part, and you know, it's quite frankly, even after, despite the last twelve or so years, we've still we're still very well followed around around the world, which quite frankly is remarkable. So yeah, the, yeah, well said, and so I think what you're saying there is a bit of a evolution in the group. Would that be fair to say, from concentrating on pure boycott to now maybe something more um, visual? Like you say, with the year of ambition scarves and stuff yes. like that, which and would you say that is is there been an attempt to try and to appeal to a, a larger section of the fan base as a, as a result? Well, well, yes. Um, so yesterday we we did like yesterday. I, did, I whether you've all seen it on social media or not that 
it was our designated our blue maroon day. So any any fan, whether they're going to the match or what, just watching the pub or just watching it at home, wherever they're watching it, they take part in it. And set, obviously, people seeing people send photos of of their scarves and and put the hashtag Toon Blue Maroon Ashley out. And yeah, I think quite quite I'd say quite a good few people took part in it and obviously I'd like I'd like to thank everyone everyone who took part and and all everyone who's and people who supported us they know who they are yeah you know, I, th- I think I think the first thing I think the first obviously there's no singular way in getting Ashley out but I think the first step needs it needs to be that we as a fan base we are in fact we are in fact united in what and to show the footballing world that we st- we're still desperate for a new owner. So what would what would you say the the main difference is between Tune for Change and the Magpie Group, or do you do you work together on similar um, things? Well, we I think you know generally we, we obviously over time I think since the group was formed we we have tried to work together with the Magpie Group on certain things. Obviously that their things may differ, so which might not always be possible but obviously we're, we're we're open to working with like people or other groups and see what see what see where we can go yeah fair, fair comment and i think i've got a I've got a question here from social media um which i think it's, it's worth putting because yeah, we did we did put the uh the call out probably quite late which is my fault yeah uh, no I, I've, I've i've put a retweet out just just to get as many people seeing it as well yeah um, Paul M says on Twitter, if Ashley did loosen the purse strings and back Bruce enough to have us comfortable mid-table, would that be enough for Aptune Change to back off? Or is there a long-term plan, whatever happens on the pitch, to get Ashley out? I think, yeah, I think I think that's that's the thing. I mean, that one as we've mentioned before, this is just the one season. Obviously, look beyond this season. I think. I think the problem is we've we've had many opportunities at the club over the last twelve years somehow to move forward. Like the fifth place season under Pardew, we only got Vernon Anita. I mean that I mean that was left the squad in an insufficient state to challenge you know, take on the Premier League and Europa League, which we had a good run in. Um and obviously we we were in top half. We, we were top half and by but in the January we sold Kabai, our yeah. form dipped off, we didn't replace him. Which which was a big problem, and then obviously the couple of times we stayed up under Rafa, and and this summer was kind of was a tipping point. I think I think the problem is we want we still we still want the team to do well. We still still love the club, but I think I think while while Mike Ashley's at the club, we he's we're not going to, the club won't fulfil the clear the vast potential it clearly has. Okay, fair enough. I've got another one on on Twitter from Sean, who says, "Did like you know, in terms of getting in touch with people to make Ashley sell the club, has there been any like comeback from that? Is, is there anyone get in touch with um, you guys to say um, we're interested? No, well, we have sent letters. We have sent letters to numerous numerous buyers who have who have known to have an interest in us. Just just to paint just just to paint a picture of you know." As if you, if you know, if you do, if you, you know, if you, you know, if you 
can take the club forwards. It could be the one billion pound, could be the one billion pound club. I think if done right, but I think you got to look when Ashley came in. Us and Tottenham were on the same financial footing. Obviously, since then, Tottenham have Tottenham have had a one become a one billion pound club. I mean, there's criticisms of Daniel Levy, but I think generally he has made them to a one billion club. You know, a nice new stadium and regu- You know, the the re- general general regulars in the Champions League, and they just made the final last year. Whereas we're only you know we're valued whether. Whether it's the right value or not, we are valued at three hundred fifty million. Why is that? Because because over over time, the club haven't grown in the way that we I believe that it should, and that we we all believe that it should, no doubt. Yeah, and I suppose I think uh, last season the the, the time flies, um, but last season <laughs> I had. Uh, couple of members of the Magpie group on and I suppose the the main question that I, I put to them was you know what yeah we all want the same thing I want the same yeah. thing as you I'm sure I'm sure I'm positive everyone listening yeah, wants the the same thing and that's a new owner of the football club sooner rather than later as well and I think that the issue that many fans would look at and maybe some fans would look at Tune for Change and, and look at and say unless someone turns up with 350 million quid and there are some fans actually who think actually even if someone pick pick one, Amanda Staveley, yeah. the guy in the summer, Peter Kenyon, whether they did or they didn't, some fans would say even if someone did turn up with 350 million quid, as long as the team's in the Premier League, he still won't sell. So what are what are you hoping to do that will change that? I think I think just in general we, we hope you know we hope that we can sustain like a long like a long term campaign to to try and put pressure on him to sell, but we we I think we're in un, under no illusions. We we are up up against a, a billionaire, and yeah, money ultimately money does it does talk. And obviously, we hope you know we're we're always planning to have more try and get more action in in place. And you know, if if anyone has any ideas, they can contact us on our social media, our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and. Obviously, those who have signed up to members can get in, especially can get in touch with us by the Tune for Change Gmail account. I suppose, yeah. Last question then um, is what's what's next for Tune for Change? What what you know? If, if there's anyone listening now, what would your message to to be to them for them to get involved with you? I think we're we're all, we're always open to new ideas. I think we're always open to new ideas and. We're always, and we're always thinking of different different ways for match for every fan, every Newcastle fan to get involved. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's just... one thing I had to ask you about. You did ask me before, and I nearly forgot. Um, is yeah, you were quite vocal. The group was quite vocal. Yes. about the free season ticket offer by the club. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, um, I think yeah, it's quite and all we. Can, I mean. If I guess if you look at from a short term view, it could be you know it's seen as a nice gesture and that, but is it is it an act of generosity? Especially especially for a start, it's been a few months after the clubs hiked up the season ticket prices by five percent in the summer, twenty percent the season before. That's twenty five percent over two seasons, um, and and obviously 
I mean, people people have paid, you know, probably seven, eight hundred quid just to go to a game, even even five hundred. I mean, I've I've had, you know, I've no, I know a couple season ticket holders who aren't, to say the least, aren't very happy with this season ticket offer because it feels like, you know, it does feel like they're sweeping over the loyal, paying fans under the carpet. I think. That, I think what the club needs to what the club needs to answer is why should people renew season tickets when there's this strong possibility that they could give them away for free? Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that is uh, that is something that we at the trust will put to the the club when we meet them when we meet Lee Charlie to try and get these kind of answers. I think you know I've spoke about it before. The it's 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 a huge shame that. Uh, football mad city or region and, and, or and, fan had base. Season, and, and had season ticket waiting lists yeah. not not that long ago I don't think yeah um, it's such a shame that, that we, we are in this position as a club yeah. there are there are positives in every negative for me you know yeah, the fact that some people are going for free I, yeah you can't but it, but it also, also what the club might be missing the trick why didn't they do it via their own food bank or even their own foundation that's, yeah I think that's in yeah, um, but I think, like you say, I think season ticket cancellation is thirty first of January. That's It'd be very, right. very interesting to see yes. what happens then. I think, I think when the the trust met the club recently, the club admitted that we're down to thirty thousand season ticket holders, which is probably the lowest it's been, well, in the Premier League definitely yes. since the stadium was extended. Um, so you know whether those numbers decline further. I mean, there's people like me who are on long term deals, so yes. my ticket compared to the the bloke next to me possibly is like three, four hundred quid cheaper, which is mental. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like how how would they manage to get themselves in that situation? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a lot. It's not really well thought through. I don't believe. No, and you're right. You might you might get to a situation where where fans think next season, well, I'll just take my chances on on getting a free one, yeah. which would which well, will uh, well and understandably so. Yeah, and and that's for the club to answer. That's for the club to explain to people why they should get get a season ticket pay hundreds of hard-earned money into getting it. Great. Well, I think that's everything. Um, yeah. So thanks very much to Joe. We really appreciate you thank coming you. in. And no, it was, thank you for having me. I have to say that it was Tune for Change that got in touch with us, which is great for you to try and broaden your message Yes. and, yeah. and speak to as many fans as possible and, and those those listeners of the True Faith podcast. Norman, many thanks to you, mate, for, for coming on as always. And we'll be back uh, next, next Sunday, hopefully, or next Monday after... After Oxford on the free podcast, hopefully with a, a romping cup win and a fifth round title, look forward to. Rarity. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can say that again. First that's time under rarity. Ashley, it would be in the fifth round. Uh, Since so, 2006. That, that, I mean, that's, that's a disgrace, quite it's, frankly. It's a, a stain on, on the club, mm-hmm. a club at this level. Yeah. But thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with the True Faith podcast this season. I'll speak to you all very soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. 
you're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.